0: No, we haven't done an 80s movie in a while.
1: Well, we haven't made, done uh, a movie that is this 80s in a while.
0: Hi there, and welcome to The Recommendation Game. This is a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film, the other is not seen. We watch them separately and then Skype to discuss them. And oh my goodness, this is a very special episode. It is almost, almost bang on, or three year, or three year, Jesus.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: I just cut out the, I just cut out the pandemic there. Uh, oh, it's our six year anniversary. Oh. Um, and who are we? I'm Hordan McNeilis, and I'm joined by my uh, my partner in crime,
1: Ricardo Deacon. Uh,
0: this week's poem is "No Way Out" from 1987. They needed a hero. I understand
1: he has a background in intelligence.
0: His two tours with naval intelligence. Get him here. He liked excitement. Take us somewhere. He wanted her. Their passion upset the balance of power. What's well, all this top secret business I've been hearing about it with the Pentagon? You know I work for Bryce. Then that makes two of us. This one can do things for me like no other woman I've ever met. Behind the cover-up. Try and understand. The power. The important thing is to abort an investigation before it ever gets to you. You haven't told me everything. Who's running this thing at the Pentagon? The new boy, Farrell. So we can take the fall in case anything goes wrong. The loyalty. I love you. I promise I'll work everything out. How did you actually meet the secretary of defense? I need a car. It's an emergency. These people have already tried to kill one person who knew.
1: Bring this one down. No, no, no. You can't take that.
0: Behind the deceit. If it were your intention to bring down David Bryce, then I have no choice but to make sure that you didn't get away with it. They mean to kill me, Sam. Because of the truth, there's no way out. Kevin Costner, Gene Hackman, Sean Young, Will Patton, no way out. Navy Lieutenant Tom Farrell meets a young woman, Susan Atwell, and they share a passionate fling. Farrell then finds out that his superior, Defence Secretary David Bryce, is also romantically involved with Atwell. When the young woman turns up dead, Farrell is put in charge of the murder investigation. He begins to uncover shocking clues about the case, but when details of his encounter with Susan surface, he becomes a suspect as well. Dun, dun, dun. The film was directed by Roger Donaldson, screenplay by Robert Garland, based on The Big Clock by Kenneth Fearing. <laughs> wow, Fearing, what a cool surname. Produced by Robert Garland and Laura Siskin. Starring Kevin Costner, Gene Hackman, Sean Young, Will Patton and Howard Duff. Cinematography by legendary John Alcott and edited by Neil Travis. And music by Maurice Jarre this week's film was pretty much picked by Ricardo. So, Ricardo, why this Kevin Costner film?
1: Well, in part, uh, I've been debating picking the other other movie that Roger Donaldson made with Kevin Costner called 13 Days based on the... Uh
0: the Cuban Missile Crisis
1: exactly yes uh, ah. it is uh, uh, a decent movie and like the topic interests me and also because as Kevin Costner it's always like a pick that it's worth well for good or for bad But <laughs> it, yeah. and then uh, whenever we were thinking about what to do for uh, the anniversary instead of just having a normal pick I started rocking my brain what other Kevin Costner movie uh, we could do and I kind of uh got divided between revenge uh from nineteen ninety two and this, but revenge is uh just a very bad movie, but it's very entertaining because it is very bad um you have Anthony Quinn really phoning in his performance and Kevin Costner giving his all and overacting to fuck. <laughs> But in this case, I I thought that I, to be honest, to be a hundred percent honest, is that whenever I was trying to like reread reviews and stuff like that to to see if I could find something to to actually make it easier for me to decide which movie to pick, then I saw the poster for No Way Out and I decided to send it to you uh, with a question mark to see what you thought of it, uh, and that's it's.
0: It's the like the V between their two faces and like Gene Hackman's face just looming out of the shadows. It is something quite perfect, I yeah. have to say the poster.
1: Yeah, like Gene uh, Hackman also looking extremely judgmental. <laughs>
0: kind of like it gives a different vibe of the movie a little bit. But at the same time we do also have Kevin at the bottom, uh running on top of the T uh, with a little with a like Washington what do you call it thing in the background. Um it's it's a it's a weird poster because the top half is so eighties and the bottom half there's something kind of seventies about it. So well, it like kind the, of throws it, me
1: it captures then the movie then because it is pretty much it's kind of an 80s take on a 70s thriller, in a way. Yeah. And uh, I think from the, you know, from the moment that the movie starts, the uh, you have the soundtrack by Maurice Jarre, who's a great composer. Mm-hmm. Also known from doing movies such as Lawrence of Arabia and... uh oh. And Dr. Zhivago. He did The Killing Fields as well. He has... Similarly to a Americanone, like a very vast and diverse uh, list of credits, and I think that it's always interesting whenever like early nineties eighties kind of soundtrack that you get these guys that have been doing music for movies since the fifties, and then they mm. have to go with the time you so sense. suddenly you have like <laughs> exactly or, <Yeah. laughs> Syncopated drum beats in the background, uh, like are muffled to fuck. And also, like weirdly, this movie has a theme song. Whenever they're driving away to go on holidays to Annapolis, that there's like a song that's like "No Way Out." In fairness, "No Way Out" is a very fucking cool title. It's far better than the.
0: The, the Big re- Clock? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I saw that, like, and the titles was like, based on, I was like, what? Which just it was adapted as a movie um, in, like, the 40s, I think. And it was also called The Big Clock. Okay. It it's technically a remake.
1: Yeah, and that movie doesn't have the twist at the end of this movie. <clears throat> uh, but uh, I think that... Uh... Watching this movie, this like I think this would be like the third or fourth time, but that I've seen it. But the first couple of times that I watched it was when I was a kid. I remember watching it originally in Brazil, and my family, like my mom in particular, is a big Kevin Costner fan. Um,
0: so it's Mercedes's fault, then.
1: Like many I, things, maybe.
0: Uh, <laughs> that's where the love comes from.
1: And uh, I remember watching. You know how remember tv remember how there were ads on tv going like oh on at eight o'clock on friday this movie's on or whatever (laughs) and um i just remembered that in the credit in the that ad was just the name kevin costner and then him sliding down uh, the middle of the two escalators (laughs) Oh, <laughs> yeah. In his little navy white um, uniform. Tight, tight,
0: tight trousers.
1: Yeah, and it, it was... Um- and I remember like, oh, yeah, we watched uh, Prince of Thieves and Waterworld and I didn't know what a good or a bad movie was. And then I watched <laughs> this and I thought, oh, th- is this what a bad movie is? Because I just didn't understand it. I was just too young for it. You know, like, I could understand the politics of things whenever it ended in a sword fight or whatever the fuck. But now nah, to d- the degree that this movie goes along. And then I remember reading about it again whenever I was in my 20s uh, about how interesting it is as a not only as a movie, but also as an artifact of its time. The, you know, we watch movies now that are trying to be like 90s movies or 80s movies, but they still think of their own time. And I think that this is kind of interesting, like watching an 80s movie trying to be a 70s movie. But you're watching it with a a 2020s kind of perspective. And I thought that it made it even more enjoyable this time around, having that kind of layering going forward. But I do think that it is surprisingly... And I do understand why Roger Ebert in particular loved this movie that it is Four a very stars. clever movie yeah like it is one of the the worst written reviews that he he's done like because Roger Ebert only had two modes one write really well structured sentences that are not even just looking deep into what a movie was about but also how it relates to humanity overall and then whenever he's not inspired, it's just a movie that lists what happens in the movie. It's like, <laughs> oh, I complain that there are chases in movies, but these chases were good, great, Roger. Thank you. Very descriptive, but <laughs> but I, I think he's it is not wrong. Yeah, it, it, it They're is good chases. Yes, and also like the I think that the setting like because they actually shot it like parts of it in the Pentagon, and I think that that as a setting is very interesting because. Pentagon still is the biggest office building in the world. So just having like it's such an odd environment to have corridors that are so big and intentionally uh labyrinthian. So you you, you get lost in it if you don't know where you're going. And the idea yeah. of like not knowing where to go. Uh, uh, I worked in the airport doing IT work here in Ireland for a little bit, and there was something whenever I was getting trained there. The, they said no matter where you're going, you have to look like you know where you're going because otherwise security will look at the in the cameras. And if you look suspicious because kind they don't foggy. know who the fuck you are, like they don't go, you yeah. know, unless you're the president of the airport or whatever is the top ranking <laughs> position. They're not going to go, oh, that's the guy that does the IT or whatever the fuck, you know, The
0: president of the airport.
1: But regardless, uh, the, like I do think that the movie, both uh, like in a structure way, the, the it works, and it's smart in the way that it, about the things that it says, both about uh, the characters themselves and trying to make an interesting thriller, but also about America in this period of time and the uh, how fucked up American politics are and. How fucked up Washington, mm. in particular,ly is. I think that I thought that you would enjoy not only being like a Kevin Costner vehicle, arguably the Kevin Costner vehicle, because this is the movie that made him a star. And I think that even to a certain degree with this movie, that you already have like the persona of Costner coming across that he's always meant to be the kind of like not the the badass action hero he's meant to be the, the noble noble n- yeah. noble guy and i think that it is quite interesting considering the twist of the movie about what does it say about like who's the good guy or bad guys the uh, gray areas and stuff like that and we'll get to the twist obviously to discuss it, what what you thought of it but i thought that um the movie, per se- like I do think rewatching and knowing the twist, actually works. Sometimes when you have a twist that is, that, that impactful to a character in the movie, that you sometimes you watch the movie back and it just doesn't make sense. It's just a twist for the sake of having a twist, and I think in mm-hmm. the in this movie it does uh, have a. It it works even to. It you kind of fix uh motivational questions that you have about the character why he's accepting certain things why he does certain things that it fi- it's fixed by knowing this other context that is going on through every scene and when you rewatch the movie as well it kind of you understand it but not only why as in the kevin costner bit but also about what it's saying about American politics. Whenever you have the Kevin Costner twist or whatever, okay, spoiler alerts, whatever. Kevin Costner is a KGB. He's agent,
0: Yuri, <laughs>
1: but he's not. Not Yuri. We'll get to that bit whenever we discuss it. But uh, after we, you, you say your your part as well, because I don't want uh, to necessarily taint your opinion this movie but in general i think that it is a very fun movie of its time it works as a thriller but it also works as just a fun kevin costner movie and i just thought the being our anniversary is like sometimes you just want to have fun and uh, this is you know there's so many (laughs) movies that we can say that there's like a sex scene in the back of a limousine with sax music playing
0: and it's so long it goes on for so long i love it oh my god
1: but uh what did you think of no way out
0: (laughs) um oh i had a great time uh (laughs) no i really did (laughs) it was like (laughs) it's so funny like uh it's one of those (sighs) i have such a difficult relationship with 80s movies because there's something about the tackiness of 80s movies of of like 80s-ness that really bleeds into everything not everything but especially most american cultural output from that time and for some reason it has dated way worse than any other decades in the last like you know Fifty, sixty, seventy years, um, and I don't know if you know. Over time, will that change? We you know because I feel like we're getting a little bit of that when we look back towards the early noughties Because by God, they haven't aged well either. <laughs> you know, when it comes to like tackiness, but um, yeah, it it it's it's a it's a it's a sheen, it's a vibe that tends to infect things that when you think about them are actually quite good. <laughs> Which is sort of how I felt about this movie because. There are like, you know, there's there's tacky moments. There's the soundtrack. There's certain ways in which it's shot. Kind it's you know, in a sort of a nuts and bolts way. Um you know, the, the the hair, the the clothes, everything, but at the same time, there is there's just enough of the like 70s paranoia-ness of this, and it's held on to the important elements of that when you get rid of like the aesthetic elements of like how, how 70s movies look, how the acting was at that time um this is not it's very different from that but it it maintains what was, was so great about those films which was the level of like paranoia and unease and like it, the pent-upness of a thriller like this is like by the time you know The picture has appeared and uh, Sam is dead and, you know, like it really, really ramps up and it's just like it's like uh, things on top of things. And like each reveal is like interesting how like uh, information is revealed, how Kevin is dealing with it. I mean, so much of this film is just Kevin anxiously looking at a printer and it's great. (laughs) Like it's it's not a film that as it ramps up, it becomes overwrought with like chase sequences and gunfights and there's like just enough of that in here it's not like it becomes you know a dumb Marvel movie or something where it's just you have to you know there's has to end in this big fight or whatever it's it's interesting how the film ends and before we get to the reveal like of how you know gene hackman's character especially when you're kind of expecting one thing from him and then he kind of does something else uh it sort of reminded me of uh another film i watched recently um the firm uh with uh tom cruise which is great where gene hackman is like you know in the end he's he's sort of overwrought with his guilt of all the things that the firm has done and how he participated in them and you know he's he's kind of in the end kind of a friend to tom cruise as he dies his heroic death the only Um, thing that i
1: remember that movie is tom cruise running down the street and i think that it may or not be raining at the time but he's wearing a suit
0: there's a lot of rain in that movie yeah Um, yes. And he's also, he's wearing a suit, but it's like baggies, baggies, baggy (laughs) nineties, baggies, baggy nineties suit. Uh, not, not as fun as the Navy whites are in this, which will always and forever make me think of, um, a few good men. Uh, and how they wear the whites and they go down to Guantanamo, Guantanamo and, and the young guy's like yeah we're gonna have to put a coat on you because if they see you wearing that they're gonna shoot at you because they're gonna expect that you're someone important and I was like I mean fair but also maybe don't drive them down the road that's right along the fence um, but uh, also <clears throat> for some reason whenever I think of like 80s, 90s soundtracks the soundtrack for A Few Good Men comes into my head. Do, 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 do. oh god Wonderful trash. Um yeah, so <laughs> Roger Roger Donaldson or Roger Lindsay Donaldson, Australian guy, um, he's it, like it's just got a real like fun back catalogue of like cocktail and Dante's Peak and uh Thirteen Days with Kevin Costner. Um but like I mean no it's not that he was making like full trashy movies because a lot of them are quite good so he's sort of like an interesting he's kind of an interesting guy um I also find it just really funny how well reviewed this was at the time by basically everyone the only one I could find that um was a curmudgeon was of course Pauline Gale um <laughs> she <laughs> she wrote I'm so
1: enough was it <laughs>
0: this is a film noir without malevolence or mystery. It's a yuppie thriller. It has no psychological layers <laughs> and that's a yuppie a thriller. Oh my God. What a 1987 thing to say. Um, the worst thing you could say of somebody, uh, it, it was annoying. It's like, that's the poll quote that's used on Metacritic, but I couldn't actually find her full review. Um, I didn't look very hard, but, uh, I kind of wanted to, I wanted the full context of that. Um, I was trying to find uh, uh, articles from around this time, kind of profiles on Kevin Costner. Uh, and I found a really great 1989 Vanity Fair interview, which is, uh, uh, I think it's called Cool Breeze, that is Kevin Costner. <laughs> but it's around the time that he'd, uh, he'd had his sort of like early failures and then made this movie, which has kind of made him a star, and then made Silverado. And then um, I think Bull Durham, is about to come out. Uh and then also has he done the Untouchables at this point, I think. Yeah, so like I think it, Untouchables
1: is 86, yeah.
0: Yeah, so he's sort of become hot stuff at this point. So it a very, very long uh Valley Fair article where the, <laughs> the picture is great. He's like lounging on a sofa. He's got like black trousers and he's got suspenders, like on his over his white shirt and stuff. It's great. But um <laughs> there's a great <laughs> This is a great line kevin has had some great lines over the years kevin costner doesn't think of himself as any kind of artist i am he says a mainstream situation <laughs> everything about his surface confirms this he has leading man blue gray eyes a surfer's sandy hair and outfielders outfielders rangy grace like other young actors who want to be regarded as more than the sum of their packaging he wears the standard four days of stubble the expected faded polo shirt and jeans Oh, God! I love it! Um <clears throat> I also love like this is such a hearty movie.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, tremendously
0: <laughs> it's so funny and what's hilarious is that It's a film where, like as I was watching, I was taking notes, it's just like we spent quite a long time getting to know her character, like she's. They don't kill her off for quite a while, which I found sort of interesting. And I don't know if it's necessarily great that we get so much character development for her or whatever, but it's, it's more just that they spend, there's a, there's just a long time of their affair to sort of develop so that whenever she's like, I love you, it's not like completely ridiculous. You know what I mean? Because like, I can imagine in another film that they would have, they would chop out, you know, the extra like ten minutes or whatever of their courtship and just like back load the end of it with like more action or whatever. And I kind of appreciate that. There's just so much of this movie that's just taken up by them like canoodling in the back of that fucking limo. While <laughs> while the limo driver is just like, haha and Kim Coster's like, Hey buddy, uh, <laughs> It's like Yeah, but such he's so sound detail. about it.
1: He's like, What's your name? I, uh, friend? can you, would you mind uh, bringing the blinds up
0: <laughs> um yeah I, I don't know i just
1: i <laughs> and also how <laughs> far away does she live that it's like you get to like fully undress in the back of the limo
0: no well i think what they say is like we want to see some monuments so i think the idea is that they they just want them to drive around oh, okay okay i think I think that's that what I took from that. I think I took that's what I took from that. Because yeah, they were they were going a while. And yeah, <laughs> then they
1: still go to uh her friend's apartment to uh, to continue oh, this.
0: <laughs> this is like early 30s Kevin. He was virile. Um <laughs> he looks younger though. It's 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 funny. There's something about wearing those white outfits that it's it's hilarious. Um I did love that. Like, why did they go to her friend's apartment? Because her, the, because her she's her having the affair.
1: Her apartment could have been surveilled under surveillance because it is. Ah,
0: uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, that's why she's like, "Don't I don't want you to understand why?" Like to her friend, she goes, "I don't want you to understand why." I need your apartment, yeah. just go to mine and don't say what's happening kind of thing.
0: And her friend, her friend who is always fantastically attired, like yeah. full makeup, perfect hair, earrings, everything, the full nine yards, anytime anyone knocks at her door, she knocks at her door and she's wearing like, like this beautiful red negligee. Like, <laughs> um, and then it's just, just like, yeah, no worries. It's like, are your sheets clean? Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> I wish I lived in the movie universe. Sometimes, like, where oh yeah, things are everything always ready. you
1: need is in the back of the limousine. It's like, wh- what did you get her? Like breakfast food? <laughs> like a carton like, of milk.
0: <laughs> There's a chili con carne in the corner. <laughs> a carton of milk. Um, yeah, I, I I really appreciate that. I love how. They're on holidays, and we see them on holidays. Um, I love the bit where they're on the boat. Um, that reminded like, <laughs> me
1: of Top Gun Maverick. I don't know if you've seen Top Gun Maverick. No, I did never actually watch There's it. There's a boat I really want scene to, you know. in that movie that is very much like the boat scene in this movie, which, you know, both are good, <laughs> clean Hollywood fun.
0: <laughs> I just love how he goes up to the guy and he's just like shoves money at him and he's like i hope you know what you're doing <laughs> he's like did he give you enough money to buy your boss a new boat because i mean otherwise <laughs> seems kind of
1: like i do my favorite thing about the entire movie is that when the two lads that are in annapolis whenever they go on holidays when they turn yeah. up as witnesses for the investigation and they're walking them around the Pentagon to try to find Yuri is that they're wearing exactly the the same outfit same outfits. That they wear whenever they were on holidays. Like the the guy, the that guy from the hotel looking like, like George
0: R. R. Martin.
1: That, the the guy from the hotel that is like some kind of eighteenth century supposed like BMB or something that the guy is dressed in like if he was in the court of louis the 17th or something and <laughs> like he's walking around the <clears throat> fucking pentagon like that
0: it's just it's that whole bit where it's like we just have to lock it down and just walk them around the entire building i was like is that not like hours of work
1: also like, <laughs> like it is the biggest office building in the world
0: yeah it's like so strange i do love though that this is the real pentagon and the 80s pentagon is just just the most boring fucking building inside like it just looks like any other office (laughs) kind of appreciate that kind of like how you know langley when you see it portrayed looks like kind of a shithole as well (laughs) it's like i'm sure it doesn't look like that anymore but you know i like that arguably the era which the during which the pentagon was the most used <laughs> of like the cold war um <clears throat> i do uh we do have to discuss one person that i don't know how we've gotten this far into the episode without mentioning um the man that stole the movie out from under kevin's hands <laughs> mr will Patton. uh this is uh, or second, uh, second, Will Pop
1: movie or third? Well, like he was uh, certainly in the Postman, so <laughs> he's certainly in this film. Um,
0: <laughs> at the start, I was deeply confused as to what his job was because he sort of seems to be like a personal assistant or something, but is apparently general counsel. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, he's 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 really just the the sleaze and the like creepiness are just he's doing 90 with them it's it's hilarious and it's also it's funny whenever he's playing against you know uh gene hackman after he's like i think i killed susan um after he kills Susan and he's sort of like he's Pushed to the to the sidelines a little bit because he's so overwrought with guilt, but also like he becomes this real meek character. So it's very funny seeing them playing off each other as Will Patton's character starts to like gain more power and stuff. And he's like, "Don't worry, I'm going to fix this for you." We do, um, yeah. I did butt up against it a little bit though, because I was like, "This is such a golden era of like." dark and psychopathic queer characters that's like mm.
1: <laughs> well like the mm. the i do agree that it is problematic to say the least but at the mm. same time the oh, like I, I think it's more there's a lot of movies that the 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 part of the the gay character um uh, trope is just used as a a prop or like a lazy kind of cop-out in a way i think that even the way that the cia describes him that straight away the the movie it's kind of like it's not because he's gay it's just yeah but also the more importantly is that the movie is about how power not only corrupts but that people that know how to use power can just use it on over other people that no matter what they want to do, even against their own willpower, they won't do what's best for themselves because power is addictive in itself. And I think that importantly, uh, your, uh the, the Will Patton character, I don't think that he's in love with Jim Hackman. He's in love with the power that Jim Hackman has and the and the part of yeah. him defending him is not or trying to fix it is that he knows especially because everybody knows he knows that the cia knows he's gay and also that the gene hackman character has kind of doesn't seem to care so it's kind of like that he knows that especially in the 80s the for proximity to power has to be the gene hackman character but most importantly is that it is kind of in the text that is Gene Hackman using him because he finds people's weaknesses in the way of uh, that you to that he picked a a counsel but also like he operates more like a chief of staff than the lawyer really in here. Yeah. He chooses somebody that he can blackmail basically the same way that he can blackmail Susan because he can stop paying the rent that he gets her used to like these fine things in life and that's why she can't leave because the leaving is not just having to like, yeah, not, not just that you suddenly are without the, the boyfriend or whatever. <coughs> it's that you you have to move You've out. You have life. to return everything yeah. that you have. And and also because of the power that he has and the kind of um, willingness to use it's, that power that yeah. she knows that... There might be
0: um, innocent, yeah, innocent
1: bystanders to what happens to her. Yeah. Like even be the, like her neighbor. Yeah, you, the, her friend or even before she knew that Kevin Costner worked with your man. That she knew that Kevin Costner would be a victim if it uh, ever came out kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think as well, like there are a few... <clears throat> There's a few lines that Will Patton has where it's clear that he's almost as much in love with, like, if not even Gene Hackman, of, like, the power of the office. Yeah. If you know what I mean, like, he seems to be a real kind of institutional guy of, like, you know, being able to wield the power of the of the Secretary of Defense. But, like, it's the, um, it's
1: the, the look he gives Kevin Costner whenever Kevin Costner says that a lot of people are saying that he's the real brains of the operation.
0: <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah.
1: I do think that it is a very uh big performance to say the least.
0: Yes, and <laughs> it's it's funny when he's playing against Kevin Costner because I think Kevin Costner does a really good job here of like I mean, not even just because he's absolutely fucking adorable in this movie. Um, I love a like sort of bashful you know he has certain points in this and oh god he's just so charming and yeah um, but he also he has a sort of a like snappy kind of like uh, what's the word like whenever he's first been shown around the office and everything and he sees Sam under the corner of his eyes he's got all these like little quips and stuff he's very like and you can tell, you know, he's not going to be sort of like um, uh, manipulated by the people around him. Like, he's very, he's kind of like clear eyed into what the mission is. And of course, the mission is something completely, almost entirely. Um, yeah, like that also, scene whenever
1: the, the guy from the Pentagon shows up and uh, Kevin Costner is saying, Oh, yeah, I don't need, or Commander Farrell says he doesn't need any anything from the CIA. And then suddenly come. Like, ask for like paperwork early or whatever. And uh, Will Patton is <laughs> like, No, no, we need things. You had questions. He's like, I <laughs> oh, had to God. be subtle about it, man. You know,
0: I also very, very much love the very long scene of Kevin Costner saving the guy on the boat. Um, so apparently, they had finished the movie and didn't have any money to uh shoot that scene. Uh, Kevin Costner was like, I will not put up with that. So he went to the studio and uh, Sweet talked them into giving them more money so they could film that scene. (laughs) It's like, yeah.
1: He went with his charming self going like, hey. I
0: mean, I do genuinely i am confused as to why kevin costner hasn't run for some sort of office at this point and he does actually in the most recent season of yellowstone um he does run for office and he becomes governor of uh, montana so i'm like hmm.
1: yeah but that's like being part of like galway city council it's the same of <laughs> <laughs> there's this kind of narrative that since uh 2005 is the upside of anger but also uh, even the guardian and stuff that is like okay kevin costner can't just um uh, sail on being the the main car the main actor or not having just charisma or whatever so he's actually had to learn how to act you know so and i'm like he's always a good actor it's just that a lot of the time the material is either absolute garbage um mm. You know, and even, like, whenever he had to play a villain in 3,000 Miles to Graceland, like, he's pretty good in that, like, overacting and stuff next to Kurt Russell. Uh, the movie's terrible, but it's fun. The thing that it, it amazes me how good his performance is, is in, in JFK, because JFK is only four years after No Way Out. It came out four years after. And he looks, like, what? ten years older in that movie. But in, Holy like, shit! Perfor- like, because... Why in that movie in no way out he's like in his early 30s or whatever and he's very
0: boyish as well you know like he has he has a young tom cruise energy in this yeah that it's so so different in jfk that's so funny. yeah because
1: jim garrison was in his 50s at least whenever jfk got killed so like he couldn't just play like Oh, well, I'm 30 yeah. running around because, you know, you just don't like most of the time, especially at that time, it didn't become like a young district attorney. There was no young <laughs> district attorneys, you know, <laughs> so it, it, it puts into context how how well he aged kind of thing. And even to think that it, in three years after this, that he directed Dances with Wolves, that is not a like I know a lot of people that don't like that movie, but just the sheer undertaking like this movie's uh you know what's this and untouchables are the movies that made him like really famous or whatever but also he didn't have a like a lot of uh, other actors or he didn't have formal training so it's kind of ballsy for somebody that at that time to just uh, put his career on the line for a movie
0: and he mentions it in this so this is may 1989 this family fair article came out and he is a whole Convers- like conversation, in it about how he doesn't feel like he could be a director, and yet that like there are a lot of people around him that think he should be a director, which is kind of interesting. So, well, like
1: famously, he um, he was kind of forced to direct *Dances with Wolves* because nobody else would make the movie. But also, and like he cast himself, he didn't want to cast himself in the movie because he was already like kind of nervous about directing. But then. Having to do the two jobs at once, but they wouldn't give him the money to shoot the movie if he wasn't the star because at least they could market it. But going back to No Way what did you think of the twist itself? I
0: enjoyed it. I thought it was good, especially because I had completely forgotten about the opening scene by the time we got to the end of it. So then I was like, "Oh yeah, ah! <laughs> I quite liked it. I think it works. Like it's it's interesting as well." uh now knowing that uh that's something that actually happened. Like as in where they had these long term spies and like plants basically. Um, which is what was then used as inspiration for the Americans, the show, which is really good. Um so I'm kind I'm curious of how people thought of it at the time, like if it felt kind of far-fetched or silly or, or what, but I don't think so. It seems to have gone down quite well, but I, I thought it was great.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's uh, one review I lo- that I saw that says that if you walked into the, the movie five minutes late and uh, uh leave the movie five minutes earlier, you completely miss out on one of the most preposterous uh, twists in movie history. But I, I disagree with that. And uh, I also think that it makes... like Because the entire part of the... The entire point of the movie is about how... You're able to not only play your enemy that is directly in front of you by uh, mm. pretending to do certain things, but also how you can do it uh, very, very remotely. So in the case of the submarine that is like the plot thread that it goes in the movie, throughout the movie, like supposedly this submarine that Americans are building to match a uh. Soviet submarine, And that is based on the idea that they think that the Soviets are building it. So then they have to match it. And the Soviets are... The hunt for Red October. Exactly. But the thing is that Jim Hackman says that the Soviets are just pretending to build it. So we'll waste all our money building this useless thing. Because there's no such thing as a phantom submarine. Like, especially especially that size. Because it's like you just see, like, a lump of water coming out, uh, whatever. But... I think that is to say because it's clear that Yuri was manufactured by the CIA, so they could like just excuse wasting money, and that the Russians yeah. got the idea going like actually that is a good idea, to do that, and they did it based on like what the CIA had come out. So that's why it's like an entire coincidence. That they blame Yuri for it, and it's a complete fictional idea. That it's like we know that Yuri doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, but we'll use it as an excuse. But the Soviets had used the uh, idea to to infiltrate America. That's why even there's the point of, that they refer to him as Evgeny, like they say his name at the end. They don't say Yuri. They say Evgeny. That is like. So I think that it is like, uh, oh, so it looking- is like to be clear like i was watching him with alex who is ukrainian and uh, uh, she hadn't seen that way out actually like so many times that she just flips out how bad the accents are because like americans don't give a shit so they're just like i know this also from like even narcos like the fucking like, the guy that plays uh, uh paulo escobar has a portuguese accent <laughs> because he's brazilian yeah so it's like they don't give a shit they go like americans are like oh yeah they're speaking the correct language that's as far uh, as we'll go so
0: yeah that's already like, <laughs> that's already seen as fucking big steps
1: so they get like a guy that is probably like i don't know where he's from but he's probably like croatian or something you know that he looks he's european it's like you look russian <laughs> enough go speak russian <laughs> Uh I think that my favorite thing is Kevin Costner's performance, which is I don't know if I called that my favorite thing in any of the other movies. I think that like you said that this movie he's incredibly charming in it, but also yeah. especially when you realize what the twist is at the end that he there's a different layers in his performance that you don't notice that there's like a something that is quite reserved about what's going on, even though he's been charming that there's like little gaps that you realized even there's a moment that she's trying to make him smile and he's not not playing you know that she's like she's really good as well that shun young yeah has always been accused of being a bad actress i never felt that that was the case with her but in this case like, i think it's the most uh relaxed performance that she's given like yeah. obviously in fucking blade runner she's playing the cyborg so like how relaxed can you be I suppose but she's very natural in this that it's not what you would associate with a Sean Young performance you know quote unquote because but like she's one of those like rare actors actors that they were very big for like three or four years and then just yeah. disappear for a bit I was
0: gonna say what happened to her Cause all I can think of is like
1: like she was in Wall Street the same year and she was in Dune. She came out against Harvey
0: Weinstein as well. Ooh. Yeah,
1: that's what I was going to say that is like a lot of the time whenever there are actors that disappeared at this time yeah. for no other reason, you kind of like that's the, 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 the fear you have that it was it that, you know? But yeah, like I think the Costner's uh, performance is very charming endearing layered as well but also like lived in there's a lot of moments that are very you know the you, if it was anybody else you go like oh that's good subtle acting you know like same way as gary oldman and take taylor soldier spy that is mm-hmm. like uh just using like body gestures and stuff to you know Play up a, a scene or something like. There's a lot of little details that uh, he adds to his performance that I, I think is great. And it's a very physical performance as well because you can tell that mm. he's doing like a lot of quote unquote and stunt work. Like the way that he like oh, shimmies up he, the um, fucking duct and stuff. Like it's quite he, impressive.
0: When he rolls over the car, Kevin Costner actually did that one. And the director, got, or not the director, but the insurance
1: guy on set was
0: like, ah! <laughs> no! <laughs> you can't do that again. Um,
1: like, uh, I suppose my favorite thing is that uh, I don't know how his navy whites are still, like, somewhat white by the end of the movie. like
0: <laughs> Just with a little bit of blood on one arm. Yeah. Yeah, because
1: yeah. even just, you know, even just sliding down the that escalator he should just be like completely jet black his back like just a big line of dirt you know yourself like in the the suit of uh modern city (laughs) living just embedded into his uh silk um garments so what was your favorite thing
0: do you think they make them out of silk (laughs) silk the practical fabric (laughs) um it's oh, it's it's definitely Kevin Costner. Um, there's there's one little moment that I really love. Uh, whenever he rolls down the escalator and uh, gets into the subway, the subway with the slowest closing doors is <laughs> like Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the door closes, and he just gives this little smile, and it's so perfect. It's like I like I'm I'm generally like not that into chase sequences, but I do really like that one, and it also where it involves him sort of like climbing on a tree as well but they film it from below so it's kind of silhouetted it's really funny oh my god
1: um yeah and then the two lads just like jump to rip like two feet away
0: that's so funny um yeah i don't know i i just i really enjoyed that bit of it It didn't go on too long which was good um yeah i don't really know what else i can add to what you said there it's just, it's really, he's just really good in this. And it's funny how any time I mention our love of Kevin Costner, people always go, why? And I'm like, why not? Like, what, what can you say that's so bad about Kevin Costner? Like, he is, he is a fan that is able to, like, exist just on his lovely screen performance or screen, uh, what's the word? Let's go with performance. Um, he just, I don't know. He feels like a safe pair of hands. And it's it's nice seeing him here when he's so young and fresh and Tom Cruise like. Um and like just you could really sense the energy coming from him and stuff. It's just yeah, it's really great. And I it's nice to see him play against someone like Gene Hackman as well because Gene Hackman is so like revered and you know at this time kind of like coming to what is like a later period in his life I suppose or in his career um because like what age is gene hackman here although gene hackman's one of those people that looked really old when he actually wasn't that old
1: (laughs) yeah like i bet that like he was the same age as costner's in this whenever he did the conversation or something
0: (laughs) yeah well whenever you have that hair and uh (laughs) you run around wearing that creepy Macintosh coat as well like oh god i like this movie uh what was your least favorite thing
1: I think it's a little bit over long. I think the like there's a very mm. few thrillers yeah. that, uh, what well, the movies, what well, an hour and fifty-seven minutes long. I mm. do think that if you take the opening credits and the sex scene in the in the uh, <laughs> in the um, stretch limo. That's about like 15 minutes of the movie gone. Like the credits (laughs) has to be said has one of the worst fucking calligraphy or whatever uh, uh, typography. It's impossible to read whatever the fuck they're (laughs) writing, you know. It's the most 80s as well. Like it looks like they just went, oh, let's copy the IBM logo, (laughs) uh, but make it orange for some reason, (laughs) you know.
0: And like really lurid orange it's it's god they're so bad they're like they're at least 4 minutes long just those credits but at the same and time
1: it, i remember uh whenever we were in college and richard fitzsimmons said that whenever you're padding it has to go from one place to another otherwise it's just pointless and <laughs> this this has a like it connects the White House to the Pentagon whenever, like, the helicopter shot is going over, but also is that it places you geographically how things are relating to each other when it comes to Washington. And I thought that was quite clever that you don't realize that that's what's yeah, happening. That that's because like, you're distracted you.
0: by the shitty topography,
1: <laughs> yeah, and the like very uh, driving soundtrack. Which it's kind of like still modern, that soundtrack, because as, as we've moved away from melodic scores, which is a pity, I think, like I, I do mm-hmm. miss scores that you could home along to, you know, yeah. the, the only movies that still use them are the ones that are like either sequels or reboots or whatever that they... Just have this thing that was created 30 years ago to just call back to rather than Mm. like a new original shit like even the game of thrones soundtrack like the the theme was fucking beast and then they didn't even bother for the new season to to write a new theme you know
0: (laughs) but even like the the
1: the 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 reigns of castamir the the like the in-universe song th- for the mm-hmm. Lannisters is actually quite catchy though. it's like dun, 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 dun. Yeah. and like nowadays you go watch a movie and it's like oh how was the soundtrack it's like oh yeah those like fucking you know horns it's like the fucking Hans Zimmer effect that It's like D- do, you, do you know what it was <sighs> what a- like, but in fairness I do love his work in June I think it's an incredible score but it's not something that is melodic I don't think every movie requires it but also i suppose that when it comes to like superhero movies yes they need like fucking give me fucking theme i want superman theme even like the sam raimi spider-man's had like a really cool theme you know like give me the super like that i want a song that when i look at the fucking logo the music plays in my head you know
0: i want the succession soundtrack you know what i mean like yeah because that that is that is a banger and a half and it's
1: oh uh. yeah but that's only like in the opening themes they don't they don't have the balls to like play that usually whenever like in the middle of a scene they usually play yeah. it whenever it's in the they, in the montage they... or something
0: sometimes but there's like that the same elements of the song are throughout the soundtrack though like it's the same notes and stuff like there's little sections of the song that appear uh throughout the soundtrack um oh gosh it's so good
1: what was your least favorite thing
0: I think, yeah i probably agree with you like it is it is a little bit too long it, it does feel it starts to drag a little bit like in sort of like the first third to the muddle of it 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 feels a little baggy there especially with the overlong sex scene and you know it's like okay (laughs) like it's funny actually uh, I watched it last night and then um, after that for some reason Almost Famous popped into my head and I was like I'm gonna put that on while I'm pottering about doing stuff and uh, I just put it on on whatever random streaming site I was using uh, and it was like the full, full director's cut that's like fucking three hours long or something. And oh my God, it is baggy. Every single scene is too long. And it's funny because like, I've seen the, the, well, like, the release version. Just like version.
1: his career. <laughs> it's
0: so bad. Like, it seems like linger and, like, awkwardly and stuff. It's really strange, uh, which I don't find here. It's more just like you could have trimmed it down without losing anything whatsoever i think from certain parts of it i think the last third is great and you know i'm and again i'm perfectly happy with how much how much time is spent to kevin costner sweating uh (laughs) while looking at a printer but like not not like gross sweating just like just a little just a little glisten you know because he's still like a gentleman um
1: I do find it hilarious how, like, the tech speak for, like, trying to explain what RAM is to somebody. (laughs)
0: Um, yeah, the the use of the computers is is fabulous, and then, like, Kevin going to Sam being like, just hack it. (laughs) It's, like, so stupid. And then, like, the thing that's, like, constantly scanning, filling in the pixels from the photograph and stuff, it's, like, so good. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I had I had a wonderful time. Uh happy birthday to us. Happy birthday celebrated, to us. Celebrated in style. Um yeah, so if they want to go back and watch or listen to six years and almost two hundred episodes, uh, where can
1: they find us, Ricardo? They can find us on the recommendation game uh gmail.com. Don't know why I'm opening with the Gmail, but that there it is at the red game for as long as Twitter exists the recommendation <laughs> game uh, G, uh, uh, what the fuck the recommendation game on Facebook uh, we're in the Dublin Digital Radio Cloud and on Soundcloud or your podcaster choice and Spotify as well I believe oh yeah so th- that's where we at so Ooh. next week film was chosen by Orla again the same movie I presumed <laughs> uh, you chose yeah, last yeah. week
0: yeah it's uh, the whole the uh, Taiwanese film from uh, 1994 no 1998 or something I can't remember now from uh, the 90s anyways yes Uh, yeah well uh, until then I was Orda McNeilis
1: and I was Ricardo Deacon
0: thanks for listening
1: see you next week bye